Well, church, it is so good. I'm going to add this last rock for what God is doing here, like Mark said. I think there's uh, an incredible things that are happening here at Pine Lake. My name is Austin. I am one of the pastors. And we are um, setting direction this this year of what we really believe that God is doing. And it centers around this word togetherness. And when I think about together, um, I think of a movie. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, uh, in case you haven't. Um, you'll just have to go and see it now. Um, the movie's called Little Miss Sunshine. And Little Miss Sunshine uh, is about a little girl named Olive. And Olive has been, uh, centers around her and her journey towards uh, going into a pageant. Her parents have put it into a pageant. And their family's a mess, just like uh, our families and a lot of families. Um, and her brother, Dwayne, um, has taken a vow of silence until he realizes his dream of becoming a fighter pilot. And so towards the end of the movie, uh, uh, Olive, cute little girl, um, Abigail Breslin uh, plays Olive, and she's this like small, round, petite little girl, likes to wear her little red cowboy boots, uh, is giving her brother um, kind of the test that you would do for your vision to become a fighter pilot. And so after doing the vision test, and he turns out to have 20-20 vision, uh, she moves on to a colorblind test. And so in there, have you, have you ever taken a colorblind test? It's like multiple colors with a letter or a number inside. And um, so she holds it up, and it has a green letter A in the midst of uh, kind of red around it. And she's like, what, what letter do you see? And he's like, he just shakes his head to see things. And then um, they ask again, and he shakes his head, nothing. And they come to realize that he's colorblind. And he starts to ask the question, like, what does that mean? What does it mean, colorblind? And he, he writes, like, what does that mean? He's like, what? And he like, points it out, and um, his uncle says, it means you can't be a fighter pilot. And so all of a sudden, everything that you had dreamed of and Dwayne had dreamed of in his silence, right? Because he's taking about science, starts to f- just starts to freak out. He starts shaking things, and his parents finally pull over. He runs out of this little VW van all the way down to the side and uh, breaks his vow of silence with some very choice words. Right? Anybody like that? Like you just like something happens and some choice words come out. You know, sometimes you can't find some words. But he all of a sudden and is just he's he's crushed. Everything that he ever dreamed of is gone. His vow of silence has now been broken. Right? And then all of a sudden, so his parents go down. They're trying to get him to come back up. And after a couple of attempts, um, they send Olive down. And Olive, a little portly, just walks down with her boots and sits and stands next to her brother, starts to kneel down, and then just puts her arm around him and gives him a big hug. No words exchanged. And then Dwayne, her brother, looks at her and goes, all right, we should go. We can't be late. Come on, let's go. And they walk up together. And this beautiful moment, like, so powerful. Like, I don't know, movies do this. Have you ever noticed, like, movies take powerful moments and then they bring us to a, a fulfillment or completion of that tension in the most beautiful way. And I think this is one of the most powerful parts of this scene because in it, the togetherness is pure. Right? That Olive, after her uh, parents uh, had gone down to try to coax him, all she does is walk down there, put her arm around him, and give him a hug. She doesn't say a word. Not wisdom. But it's this idea of togetherness. This, I will be with you together in the midst of your life that is falling apart. I'll be with you. And when we talk about, uh, as a church, what does it mean for us to focus on this idea that we are choosing to be together? 
Like in all the things that we do, and instead of trying to convince each other with wise sayings or um, treats or trying to trick people, like we just say that we are going to choose togetherness. We're going to choose to be together because it's so powerful. It can change everything. And so I want to uh, I want to read together our text this morning. Uh, it's in Psalm one thirty three. Um, so if you have your Bible in front of you, um, I'd love for you to open it up with me. Um, or if you have a digital version, it'll be on the screen. So uh, let's read this together. This is Psalm 133, the whole thing. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down to the collar of his robe, it is, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Let's pray. God, I, in a season where we are, are, are casting vision, God. We're trying to see who you're calling us to be. God, I pray that we don't come up with something catchy, but look back to the way in which you have always created us from the very beginning. God, that we would attach ourselves to that. And I know that for some of us, we come in places where we feel all alone. God, may we know that wherever we come, we feel fully drawn into this place to you or we feel very far away. God, that living together, living together will change that. That people are welcome wherever they fall on the spectrum. And so God, today, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on all of us as we rest in you. We ask this in your name. Amen. There's something really, like, just plain and simple. And I don't want to use some fancy words or try to convince you anything, but there's something that really caught me in one of the shortest chapters in all the Bible. It starts out—this is a remember verse for us. How good and pleasant. How good and pleasant it is to God when we live life together. Just simple. Good and pleasant. When we, as God's people, live together in unity. Think about that for a second. Because I think in a culture, in a world where there are a lot of things that are good and pleasant, I I know that there are things that are good in this world that are not pleasant. I know there are a lot of things in our world that are pleasant but not good. But God, in all of what he could say, and David, in all what he could say as the king, saying, how good and pleasant. At the same time, good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant is when they live together. When you do life together as a body of Christ, it brings joy to God. It brings joy to the Lord that when you and I live and do life together, it brings joy. And I think, I was thinking about this week, where, where in the world have we missed this? Like, where in the world, like, if, if this, if living and doing life together brings joy to God, brings joy, that he says both good and pleasant, when my people live together in unity, where are we missing it? 
And I thought to myself, is it, is it, do, are my needs and my desires just overarching and above what God wants for me and his people? Or if I blatantly just don't care what is good and pleasing to God. Like, I just, I'm thinking to myself, like, maybe I don't think and don't care what is good and pleasing to God. Sometimes. Sometimes what I want overarching desires just take over. And I thought about that, how good and pleasant, good and pleasant it is when God's people live together. So that means when I sit here and I'm thinking about what does it look like to please God, it's like, do life together. Do life together in a context that says, man, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, to get whatever you want, at the sake of everyone else. God comes and says, what's beautiful, what brings me joy. Like whatever you look at that brings you joy, for God that is when we live together in unity. When we live together, when we're doing life together, God is overjoyed with his people. Could you imagine that? That he's like, and I think about the other way, like he is not concerned which is burnt offerings and sacrifices and you show up just on Sunday morning. He is worried and loved and full of joy when we live life together. Not only that, but he says something later on that I think is, is, is as I was studying and thinking about this, um, that was so powerful, that it's not just that our togetherness is good and pleasant to God, but that our togetherness creates a pleasing fragrance and cultivates flourishing. Like it's not just good and you're like, oh, I have to do that because God said it to do. But when we come together and live life together, it is both a fragrant offering that smells so good, but also is for our flourishing. I don't know about you, but I want to flourish. I don't want to just go through life ho-humming and at the end be like, mm, okay, we did a funeral here. And I'm sorry, I might be like morbid, but I love funerals because it inspires me to live a life that I'm not living. Because I get so caught up in the mundane that I settle for it than something that's beautiful, fragrant, and flourishes. Like, I don't know about you, but when I think about fragrant, take me to a Mexican restaurant that's authentic, that makes their own tortillas. And when those tortillas come to uh, our table and to our family, we do something really weird. Before anybody touches any of their food, we all grab a tortilla and we go, just smell it. Oh my gosh. Can you smell it right now? Authentic flour tortillas made homemade. You're like, oh, there's something good about that. Next to some rice and beans and some fajitas and a margarita. Like, mm. oh, Lord. Like, I th- so when we're talking about oil, like this is not EVOO. Like they weren't just like, mm, we're going to pour some EVOO on you and anoint you. Like, this was the fragrance and the perfume that the woman came and poured on Jesus. And it was priceless. It smelled great. So much so they'd be like, why are you wasting it? But it was such a fragrant offering that, like, when we get together, that this fragrance of offering, when you drive by this church, it should be like, dang, they smell like fresh tortillas. I got to get up in that place. No, but for real, like, we should be a fragrant offering. Like he says, when we do life together, man, people will pass by and they'll be like, whatever is your fragrant offering? Maybe it's cleaning supplies because you like things clean. I mean, me too, I know. But it is a fragrant offering to God. And then I thought about the other thing. Not that, that oil of anointing and beard, but also it says like that dew that rests 
on Mount, like the dew that's coming down from Mount Zion. Like I remember days and days of getting up early and going to soccer tournaments and being on the pitch on that first game. And it's like so early, right? Like seven o'clock, six thirty, and the fog is rolling over and all the dew is on there and your feet are going to get soaked that first game. But it's like this magical moment you just love playing on. And I thought about that for a second, not like not only the majestic part, but that dew is essential to the flourishing of the grass. Like that dew is parching, is, is, is parching the thirst of the grass. That it is just sitting on there. The very thing that is needed in lifeblood of that grass to thrive and to flourish is sitting on it without, God, without them doing anything. Is a flourishing. How many of us who are dry and thirsty and needing some life in and through us are just dying for some dew in our life? Like I just think about what it would look like for our community if we really said our togetherness, our togetherness, being together, parches your weary soul and provides flourishing of one another. Our doing life together provides flourishing. That actually the truth is, is that you don't find it on your own and you have done nothing to deserve it. But God, who, ring, who brings dew down from Mount Zion to lay on the fields of grass in your life. The beauty is done when we do life together. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as a church? What does that actually change how we operate this next year? What we're invited into, what we are pursuing after as a church, as we say that at Pine Lake, we want to choose togetherness. That togetherness has always been God's plan for humanity. I want to say that very clearly. In a culture that talks about individualism and isolation in this season, that God's plan for humanity is togetherness. Not because of what it brings about, but because of who he is. Like, look at this text from Philippians chapter 2 that describes what happens when Jesus is entering the world. It says, in your relationships with one another, Paul is talking to, to the Philippians um, and talking about Jesus, saying, in your relationships with one another, that's another uh, word, a hot word for us, one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he himself... He, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Like this moment, like all of God's desire for humanity has been together. From the moment that Adam and Eve are created, and creation, he looks, when it says he, it is good, that God walks amongst his people, together with Adam and Eve. And the first question he asks when they stop being with him is, where are you? I want to be together with you. Why are you hiding? That our hiding is the antithesis of what it means to be with God. 
That in our togetherness, that God decides to be with his people, to consecrate them as you are my people and I am your God by coming down on a mountain and being in the presence of his people. But that wasn't enough. That he decided I want to travel with my people so that my presence will lay upon the Ark of the Covenant and it will go wherever you go. It will be with you wherever you go. And then even this moment that this is always who God has been and that Jesus is saying, no longer can I stand this division of time and space and I'm coming. Not as something radically different, but something that God has always been wired to be together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That now the moment that Jesus is saying, the way that I'm, we're going to do this is I'm going to be together with you. I'm going to put on flesh. So I can be together with you. Imagine that, that God's deepest desire is to be back with his people to do life together with them. And that the antithesis of being a follower of Jesus is doing what he did right at the beginning to go and hide from their God. That the antithesis of us as a community to say that we are followers of the way, that we are followers of God, followers and apprentices after Jesus, to say that the antithesis of what it means to follow God would be to do our own thing. How, me included, how often did I grow up thinking that the quintessential definition of, of, of togetherness was showing up on Sunday morning. Like, I'm not beating y'all up, and I'm not, like, giving a pass to all those that aren't here. The togetherness that happened by the consistent gathering together of the disciples after Jesus has left was a marking point of their togetherness, but it wasn't the full expression of their togetherness. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. That in the disciples gathering together to pray, to worship together, was the beginning of their togetherness, not the fulfillment. That is a message I wish and I hope and I pray that we start to get as a church, but then rest of followers of Jesus get that too. Is that the fulfillment of our togetherness starts at the beginning of our gathering here together. So what is it? What is togetherness? What does it actually look like for us? Over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of togetherness. It's going to mark us the entire year. You're going to hear the word together until you're sick of it, right? <laughs> Your togetherness might be like, it is not a flower. It's not a flour tortilla. It is like something else that we shall not name. But our togetherness over the next year, we're going to talk about it. We're going to allow it to mark us deeply because not just because it's a cool saying and I want to be together with you and I want more on your calendar, but because who God designed us to be. And if I'm not and we're not moving in the way that God designs to be, I'm out. I ain't got time for it. I'm just saying it. Like that's how much this means to us as a staff, the thing that has grown to us is we absolutely love and desire to be together. So what does that look like? Well, our call to togetherness is people, not a building. 
Like you've heard that before, but let's just get this ingrained. Can we finally accept the fullness that our togetherness is choosing people, not a building? That our togetherness, when we think about who we are as a body of Christ at PLCC, that it's not a building on 228th. As much as the rest of the world would be like, oh yeah, you're that church on 228th right up on the plateau. Yeah, yeah, that's us. But what else is us? Is the gathering together people like, oh, but not only that, but I noticed like y'all are together in other places. Y'all are together in the coffee shops. Y'all are together in the bars. Y'all are together at restaurants, at parks, at festivals. Like y'all do life together. That's crazy. Can I get some of that? Yes, you can. Absolutely. Come over. I got extra tortillas. Um, <laughs> but togetherness is also about our heart, not just habits. Like, I love you, and I thank you for that you are here, and you that are joining online, and a habitual coming and being with. I think this is, again, the starting point, but it is about our heart. Because habits, habits exist within our lives until they meet a better habit, until you get more. Like, the thing that I'm learning in being and doing over a decade of, of ministry with youth and having my own kids is that my kids and youth will choose the better habit and story that is offered to them than the one that is currently offered. So often when the church is like this, oh, okay, and then a better habit comes along, they drop it like a hot potato. It is a bad habit. They don't care anymore. And I wonder, like, if we as our heart said, no, 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 like, I'm not just going to have it, but my, my heart is going to say that I'm changed and I'm moved towards this God who wants me to be good together with him and together with one another, that in my heart, I'm, that's it. I believe fully. And that belief that is struck so deep into my heart plays out on how I live. But togetherness is also love and not our location. Like this is one of my, oof. I know I talk about a love a lot because it's marked our family. Like our family, the depth of love that we have for one another and our devotion and love that we have for God allows us to move to place to place, to be together with different groups of people because we know it's the way that God has designed us to be. That we love God so much that it's not held to a location or a part of the country. It's with people and it's with our love that we have between each other. You might love this building and trust me, it is a beautiful building. I had friends come here this last week and they were like, dang, this place is amazing. I was like, I agree. It is really amazing. So glad that I don't have to do all the capital campaigns. Thank you, Lord. Have mercy. But... Man, strip it away. What do you got? Take your togetherness. And if you're like, man, my togetherness is centered around my house and our home and our family. What happens if it burns down? Your togetherness empties? And my love is so rooted in togetherness is that even when I'm with people who I love and I miss dearly in our togetherness that we don't get to do on a daily uh, habit anymore, that I'm still connected with them. I'm still trying and desiring. That's why we had our friends come for a few days because it's not enough for us just to be connected. We want to be together. But our togetherness then flows into conviction, not convenience. Convenience. 
Can I tell you something right now? The biggest threat to our togetherness is how much you deem it convenient in your life. That often the determination of our investment in togetherness is how convenient or easy, easy access we have to it. If it fits in my calendar, my togetherness will be there. But if it doesn't fit into my calendar, I don't know. Like this is why in all the things that we talked about earlier, it seems like it's plain and simple. We do life together. That when we do life together, it pleases God. But I don't believe we have the conviction that we care what pleases God. I know sometimes in my own life that I would rather choose a God of convenience than a God who calls me to push away the good for the best. For what pleases me to what pleases him. That internal battle is always there. Always the evil one is saying, like, that's not convenient. You got other things that you could do. You could spend the next two hours catching up on all things fantasy football so that you win the league. Did I hit anybody's nerves? Just kidding. Week one. If you had anybody from the Rams, I'm sorry. <laughs> they dropped a goose egg for you. Um, <laughs> but seriously, like, the conviction, the deep-rooted conviction, togetherness doesn't happen in like, no, that is a deep part of who I am. I'm convicted about it. And then when that conviction comes, then it sits at the center with who God is and who we're called to be, and everything forms around it. Not that this togetherness forms around everything that I want to do. And if it fits in and has a good on-ramp, then I'll put it at the center of my life. Jesus is not an on-ramp to the center of your life. Oh my goodness. He's a conviction that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that life together with him means in proximity with him and with one another. Iron sharpens iron. Come on. But... Also, togetherness is vulnerability and not connection. Can I say this? That in our day and age, we are connected to thousands of people. I know the trending topics, reels. I know what people are doing in their life, but I have no togetherness with them. How apparent was it during the last two years that our togetherness was so loosely tied to who we are that we searched for connectedness instead of togetherness? And trust me, like, I spent my own time away being healthy and keeping care of my family. Trust me, like, I'm not saying that you should say, like, ha everything's out the door. Let's just do it, be together. No, no, no. I think our togetherness also causes us to care for one another really well. But not for the sake of moving to connectedness. That was one of the biggest challenges that congregants had when they talked to me over the last two years when we connected. Like, you didn't desire to be with me. And I was like, you're right. I chose being connected with you via social media and maybe a random text. But I had no desire to be together with you. Because it wasn't a conviction. And I'm wondering, for all of us, not just young people, I'm talking about all of us, in the thing that sits in our pockets that we put, like how much do you desire to be connected versus being together? 
I just want you to put it up against it to say, how, does I, how do I feel when I feel connected with a thousand people? Or how do I feel when I'm together with my best friend sitting in the room over a meal and laughing and crying together? Tell me which one you want. And the reason why we feel connected is because nobody's inviting us to be together. So right now I'm asking. I'm inviting. Don't choose to be connected. Desire to be together. And lastly, that our togetherness is forgiveness, not perfection. We've been hitting on this last couple of weeks because I think it's a word that we need to hear. That it is a fragrant offering that is beautiful to the Lord and it should be attracted to one another. But I sweat a little bit and I taint it all up. Right? You're like, mm, that's like every middle school boy who is after gym puts on Axe body spray. We'll forgive them. But I'm not desiring them to be like going and working out and being this beautiful like, oh my gosh, you smell like heaven after you worked out. Like I'm not expecting perfection at all times. What we're saying is that the center of our togetherness, the beauty that exists within our togetherness is that we allow each other to be forgiven. That in our culture that cancels everybody that has done one thing wrong, that is too far gone, Christians included... Let's not be high and mighty. We've lost that our togetherness is rooted in forgiveness, not perfection. And this is one of the most beautiful things, if we can finally get it right as a church, is that people don't have to go around fearing being perfect for the sake of being canceled. But they can find a place where their togetherness allows them to be who they are, messed up, broken, sinful people, that are redeemed by grace. And that same grace that is offered to them by Jesus Christ is offered by those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful picture of who I want to be as a church. Saying, I don't want you to be perfect. Be average. Be C+. Because that's beautiful. Because it doesn't put eyes on you, but it puts eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So church, what do you want to do? Do you want to be together, or do you want to be connected? Do you want this to be the fulfillment and the fullness of our time together, or do you want to go deeper? Do you want to sit around the table with me with a tortilla, and together be like, oh, yes, this is good. Do you want to go and build experiences in life together that is good and pleasing to God, that is a fragrant offering and actually brings you flourishing? That's what we're inviting you to this year. That is what you're inviting others into when you say, hey, come be a part of this community. We're not an experience. We're not a flashbang. We're together. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm going to acknowledge in this room and even in my own heart that I have been, been hurt by people who know and follow you. 
which has caused me to feel like I am on the outside, on the peripheral, and if I just fell off and not and didn't exist, that would be okay. But God, if it is good and pleasing that we live together, it breaks your heart when we're willing to cast off one from our body. That we're willing to say, you don't matter. You don't add anything. You don't bring anything. So for us as a church, for me, in any way that I have done that, now or in the past, God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive me? Would you allow me to turn, walk away from the place that says, we don't need you, to say we can't do this without you? God, would you speak through the Holy Spirit the words to whoever needs to hear it, both here in person and maybe online, that we need them. We need you. Because without you, our togetherness isn't as good and as pleasing as it could be. So God, come. Could you tuck this truth deeply away in every one of our hearts? Establish it at the center. Put it with you at the center of our lives because it's who you are. And if it's who you are, it's who I want to be. God, come. Fill this place. We ask this in your name. Amen.